again. We, we have been in this series, and we discovered in this Advent series um, that the Advent season kicks off the new year for, on the Christian calendar. And so, actually, the new year for us began on December the 3rd, uh, but the, the world's kind of forcing us to follow this whole Gregorian calendar, so I guess we'll do that, you know, we don't have much of a choice. Um, so we will usher in the new year tonight with everybody else as we um, celebrate 2024 coming in at midnight. Um, you may be under the impression also that Christmas is over, uh, but it's, it's not. Everybody's packing it up, but uh, we just started the 12 days of Christmas on December the 25th, and so it's going to run until January the 5th when we will enter into the season of, of Epiphany. Um, regardless of our calendar confusion, there's just something symbolic that takes place when we move out of one year and into a new year. I mean, one of the cool things about uh, beginning a new year is that it's just full of potential and endless opportunities. Uh, for some reason, we think that our lives have a greater chance of improving when the calendar changes from December the 31st to, to January 1, right? Optimism, happiness, the excitement of new beginnings fills the air. Last year's bad luck and bad behavior and poor decisions and broken relationships, man, all that's over with. We, we can start fresh tomorrow. We, we can resolve once again to become better people. We can lose weight and exercise more and eat healthier. We can manage our finances better. We can be generous. We can treat others the way that we want to be treated. All of our goals of self-improvement are built around the ambition of who we want to be and, and what's important to us and, and what we want to accomplish. And the goal of self-improvement, usually this time of year, comes in the form of New Year's resolutions promises that we make to ourselves. And while New Year's resolutions are, are fun and they're made with good intentions, they're extremely hard to keep because life happens and it rarely goes the way we planned it. But that doesn't change our desire to want to do better and be better, to, to improve our circumstances. Actually, that is a deep spiritual need that we have. It's been placed in us by God to draw us closer to God. I mean, nobody likes being weighed down by guilt and shame. They want to experience freedom from that kind of bondage. Nobody wants inner turmoil and chaos. They want peace. Nobody I know likes being trapped in a lifestyle of sin. Everybody I know wants the joy of forgiveness. We all have this need to be transformed. But a lot of people may not recognize that that's a matter of the soul. There, there's something deep within us that knows we need to be changed. Christmas was a pretty big step in God's plan for change. Culturally speaking, Christmas commemorates the, the birth of Jesus of Nazareth to a, a young virgin girl in Galilee. Uh, but theologically and, and spiritually, Christmas is the celebration of the incarnation of God in Jesus the Christ. It is the self-revelation of God to the world in human form for the reconciliation of humanity back to himself. 
All of the details of the various accounts concerning Jesus' birth revolve around that one central truth. Emmanuel, God with us. I like the way that Max Licato describes the incarnation. He writes, That particular moment was like no other. For through that segment of time, a spectacular thing occurred. God became a man. While the creatures of earth walked unaware, divinity arrived. Heaven opened herself up and placed her most precious one in a human womb. The omnipotent, in one instant, made himself breakable. He who had been a spirit now was pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. And he who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. Holiness sleeping in a womb. The creator of life being created. God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys, and a spleen. God had come near. It was necessary for, for God to become human in order to, to feel what we feel, to hurt when we hurt, to laugh when we laugh, cry when we cry. The birth of Christ ranks at the top of one of the most significant events ever. And that's why we celebrate it. And so for us, the children of God, knowing that God works in the real world, where tragedy is inevitable, where suffering is unavoidable, where pain is a reality, it sure is nice to know that God is with us. You see, the, the purpose of Christmas was to bring change to the world. And I don't just mean change to the world in general. I mean to bring change to each and every one of us personally, where we carry out our life on a day-to-day -day basis, at our jobs, in our relationships, with our families, and how we live that out spiritually. You know, it, it should all be radically transformed because God is with us. And see, no matter what decorations or trees or candles you've put up around your house, no matter what your Christmas menu was, and no matter what presents you unwrapped earlier in the week, nothing is more important than the message of a Savior becoming a human being born in a manger. That first Christmas in Bethlehem, there, there were no parties or parades or gifts being exchanged. There were no bells or ornaments or trees or, or stockings. There wasn't an overabundance of food or a palace with servants. It was a couple of young, unwed, financially broke parents that had to use an animal stable for a delivery room and a feeding trough as a baby bed. And this was no accident. This was no misfortune. It was all part of God's grand design to enter our world, not as a king, but as one of us. The way God chose to enter the world speaks volumes about him. And it should signal to his people that this king has a different mode of operation than all the other kings that have come before him. Physical force, military might, financial wealth and influence, physical dominance, this is not how Jesus rules and reigns. Let me read a, a passage out of the book of Philippians to kind of help us understand 
um, how we might approach 2024 uh, with a new way of thinking, right? A, a kind of a, a new way to think about our New Year's resolutions, um, maybe differently than we have in the past. So this is Philippians uh, chapter 2, beginning with verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. I, I can't tell you how many New Year's resolutions that I've made in the past that have to do with my own ambition and my own vanity, right? It's something I wanted. It was all about me. And, and those types of resolutions are very normal in our culture, very accepted. It's, it's what we do. New Year's resolutions are typically the goals that we set for, for our own improvement, our finances, our physical health, our relationships, our mental health, our careers. The list goes on and on. And just a, a quick internet search of the top 10 New Year's resolutions will generate a list that looks something like this right here. I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to get organized and learn a new skill or hobby. Life to the fullest, or save money and spend less money. You know, I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to spend more time with my family and friends. I'm going to travel more. I'm going to read more. There's nothing wrong with that list at all. However, it just doesn't address our deepest need. Those goals, they, they may impact your daily routine, but they will not really impact your heart. They may change the way you think about yourself, but they're not going to change the way you think about others. You see, if we keep reading this Philippians passage here, we discover something that, that Jesus did that should not only change the way we think about our New Year's resolutions, but really it should change the way we think about everything. So let's, let's keep going. So we're supposed to you know, do nothing out of selfish ambition, uh, but in humility value others. And then in verse 5, it says, So in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that it, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We typically don't think of Philippians 2 here as, as a Christmas or an Advent passage. But it is all about what Jesus did by becoming a baby. He emptied himself of all ambition, privilege, and vanity. And the Apostle Paul says, this is the kind of mind that you and I need to have towards one another. We mentioned the last couple of Sundays um, that, that we're living in a very privileged point in time in history because we are post-Christmas, right? Right? So we know that all of the prophecies um, were about the that were about the coming of the Messiah, the Savior of the world. We know all of those prophecies were now they're about Jesus, right? 
And so since we have the life of Jesus and we've got the teachings of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus documented, then we know how we're supposed to live as his followers. We know we are supposed to be Christ-like, and that's not something that you can just simply make some New Year's resolutions about. Because being like Christ, that's not something you can just try harder to do. It is a complete reorientation of the mind. It is settling into a new nature, one that only God can give you by the power of the Holy Spirit. So in our relationships towards one another, we should have the mindset of Christ Jesus. Listen, the the overarching story of our lives, really the mission of God, is found in a single verse. It's John 3.16. You're probably familiar with it, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So that's the first part of God's mission. Listen, so that's what God did for us. And so the question is, so what do we, what do, we do in response to that? What is our response to John 3.16? It's found in 1 John 3.16, almost a parallel, right? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's John 3.16. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is the mindset of Christ. We ought to give our lives to our brothers and our sisters. You will not see that on the top ten list of New Year's resolutions. The first half of God's mission to redeem the world is Jesus giving his life up for us. The second half of the mission is us giving our lives to others. We play a role in this whole Advent thing. And so, so what does your Advent look like? What does, it look, what does your arrival in the name of Jesus Christ look like to the poor or the widow or the orphan or the foreigner or the prisoner? Let's bring it a little closer to home. What does is, what is your arrival in the name of Jesus look like in your home to your family? Right? to your workplace, to your school. One of the things that we've got to be aware of is that just showing up in the name of Jesus, with the good news of Jesus, it doesn't always mean that life is going to be a bed of roses. Right? It's not always going to be great. In fact, if there's anything that we learn from the life of the apostles and really in our own experience is that until Jesus does return in final victory, we're going to continue to deal with, with pain and suffering and brokenness, right? And, and we're going to lose a whole lot of battles along the way. I mean, think about some of the faithful people in the Bible that, that prayed from a position of faith and surrender, like, like Peter and, and Paul can attest to. And, and the gates of the prison were flown, they just flew open, right? That's awesome. We, we love that. We love it when prayers are answered like that. But there were other times when people prayed from a place of faith and, and surrender, And Stephen was still stoned to death. And James was still martyred. But that doesn't change the reality that when we show up in the name of Jesus Christ, that we are fulfilling the call that God has on our life to love other people. Here's a quote from um, Stephen uh, Siemens. It's a a quote about Advent. Um, 
Stephen Siemens is, uh, I've just discovered him. He's been around a while, but I, I, I like this guy. Um, we, we were introduced to him at a conference we went to in September, but so I've been reading some of his stuff. Here's a quote that he says. He says, the arrival of Jesus Christ should not cause us to abandon this world or look for an escape from suffering or evil. Instead, it should move us to become passionately and actively engaged in it. We know what real love is because Christ gave his life for us. And so we ought to give our lives to our brothers and our sisters. In other words, when, when the world sees us living out the love of God, they may actually start believing that he came and that he's real and that he can do for them what he's doing for us when they see that kind of love coming out of us. And as important as the resurrection of Jesus is, there wouldn't be a resurrection if there wasn't a cradle. We, we often hear the message of Jesus kind of presented in a way that makes us think that, that God wants us to always feel good and be happy and that, you know, that he's here to kind of solve all of our problems and take our pain away. But this Philippian text that we just read, it, it suggests that like Christ, that we should be willing to humble ourselves to the point of death. Jesus' death was on a cross. Perhaps our death is just a death to ourselves, right? Matthew 16, 25, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. It's not a very popular message today. The world doesn't like to hear it. There's some churches out there that don't even like to preach it. We like messages that have titles like, you know, how to live your best life now and, and follow me and all of your dreams will come true. But the invitation to take up your cross, that was the equivalent of asking us to put our needs and our desires and our pride and our ambition and all of our motives to death and take on the mission and the ministry of Jesus. And so in, instead of you know, making more of the same New Year's resolutions tonight, maybe, maybe we can start a, a new habit um, that will lead to some real transformation. I mean, d diet and exercise, money management, that, that, listen, that's not going to change the world. But loving others the way Christ loves us, that will. And so this morning, I just want to leave you with something pretty practical uh, that you can use as a, as a tool in, in the coming year. It only takes a little bit of time each day to do this, and it may be a little awkward at first because it's new and, it, and it's different and you're not used to it, but um, it, it's a spiritual practice that's been used uh, for hundreds of years by, by Christians. In fact, St. Ignatius uh, developed it. He started it on his own, and, and then people wanted to know what he was doing, so he shared it with that and began to teach it, and it just spread like that. But St. Ignatius developed it in 1522. Um, it's, it's pretty simple. Uh, we've broken it down really to four words. Recall, you can throw them up there, Cassie. Recall, rejoice, repent, and reboot. So, so recall, you can just kind of think about this past year. Reflect on it, you know. Um, and, and then as you're doing that, you're, you're looking for things that have happened that you can give thanks, you can rejoice about. So you're going to recall, then you're going to rejoice wherever you see these blessings. And then also we've got to repent and confess when we see sinful patterns and attitudes that, that pop up that we remember. And then reboot. Just reboot and take the time to, to prayerfully consider how you can be more like Christ.
Christ in the coming year. Well, I've put those words right under the message there in the bulletin so you can have those words with you. Recall, rejoice, repent, reboot. But I, I believe that this will be a, a much more effective way to achieve what we all want to achieve rather than just setting some more of the same New Year's resolutions because Christmas should change the way we approach everything in life. It especially should change the way we love one another. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this season, but, but it's just a season. What we really thank you for is the word becoming flesh, walking among us, doing life with us. Not only identifying with us, but more so allowing us to identify with you. You love us so much that you're willing to make sacrifices, big ones. So God, our prayer is that as we move forward into 2024, that we change our thinking. That, that our, our prayers and our hope and our dreams, it's not, it's not for more prosperity. It's not for pain and suffering to go away. It's for us to understand all of that in a new way. It's, it's for us to understand that you're, in the midst of it, you're using it to transform us and shape us to become the people that you want us to be. And those people are people who are very selfless and they give of themselves and they're generous and they make sacrifices and it's more about kingdom work than it is about our lives. And so God, this morning, um, I, I prayer pray that the same prayer that, that John Wesley prayed, and I pray it for all of us when he said that we are, we are no longer our own, but we are yours. So put us to what you will. Rank us with whom you will. Put us to doing. Put us to suffering. Let us be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let us be full. Let us be empty. Let us have all things or let us have nothing. We freely and we wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are ours and we are yours. So be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven.